This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the New York Institute for the Humanities, I'm Eric Banks. According to Richard Kapuscinski, when he left Warsaw on his first foreign assignment to India in 1956, his editor handed him a copy of a book, Histories by Herodotus. In 2005, Kapuscinski visited the Institute to talk about his connection to the great Greek historiographer. I was starting to to write a book about my uh, travels, my reflections, of my life in in uh, South America, because I thought I thought well, I'm going to write a trilogy. First, uh, first volume was Africa, which was publishing as a shadow of the sun in United States, like now. The second volume is Latin America, and the third volume is Asia. Third word is my uh, my uh, subject, my field. <laughs> but uh, events of uh, happen of the uh, 11 of September in, in America, which is a great repercussion in, in my country and all in all this part of, of Europe, Central and Eastern Europe. And because of my uh, my past, my travels, my reporting about the world, they considered me suddenly as a, as a specialist, as a globalist of the globalization problem and started to insist on me to have a lectures, to talk, to, to explain so I have to drop up the writing a book and change to, to the subject of Islam, of, of globalization, of situation of the, our planet, and where the humanity is going, and so on and so on. So it took me uh, those all the time till uh, now. But in the summer this year, I will think that I have a little bit enough of this. And I have to find something more quiet to write about, not so immediate, not so urgent not so emotional. And then, it, it, because I have a, a lot of other demands, demands to write a textbook about nonfiction reporting, uh, because with the development of media, electronics and everything, we have a big proliferation around the world of all journalistic schools, become one of the most popular uh, faculty in the world now. I was in Madrid now, when we had in one town with Madrid, they have 32,000 of students of, of journalistic uh, departments <laughs> in one town. 
And there is a lack of serious, important books. So they consider, because I'm working 40 years doing reporting all over the world, that I, I should write a book about uh, reportage, nonfiction writing, and everything, to be journalists, and so on and so on. But I thought that these sort of books are generally boring. It's textbooks, it's not, not very, not, it doesn't give much uh, possibility to express something, to, to say terminology. And it comes to my mind that I will not write a book about reportage as such. And I will not write a book only about myself. I have to find out the figure was first and practically the only great reporter in the world. And that, that such a person was the person of Herodotus. Herodotus wrote a book which is still a classic and the best book of reportage in our planet, in the history of literature. The book has been written 25 centuries ago. And the way the man was, was working was fascinating me since years because he was exemplary in the way of understanding and collecting the material. Herodotus was the first globalist. He was the first man who understood that to understand history of his people and his country, you can do this only to understand the people and history of the others. And not only understand this, but also to accept it, to let understand that the other peoples have this reason to behave this and this way, have the reasons to think this and this way. And he was, although he was Athenians, I mean, he was very um, concerned with source of Athens. It was practically his nation. Whatever he writes about the others, about his enemies, he writes with a very great respect to, them, to their culture and to their behavior. There is not a word of hate, there is not a word of uh, rejection in all his writing. A reverse, he's trying to go to these people, to talk to them, to understand what they mean, to understand what they are trying to, uh, what are the motives of their behavior, why they do this. And he makes himself the translator of one culture to another. He understands that the way to survive the world as it is, is only through understanding and only through respect. There is no other way to save the world as it was during his uh, time, which was a fifth century before the, uh, the new era. So what was attracting me, it was how he was going to the sources, how he was collecting the material. There was no television, there was no radio, there was no electricity, there was no nothing. He has to make this way as all we reporters are doing today, by going, by seeing, by talking, by trying to understand, by reading, by uh, discussing. And it's a constant obsession of him, constant fascination of him what the problem, and he's putting this in the first sentence, there's a problem of memory. He wants to write a book to save the memory. And to save the memory is one reason. And the second reason is 
how it's happened that these two grand civilizations with enormous uh, achievements and resources, which admits of us equally, come to conflict. What reasons was that East and West are fighting together, are going to the war. What was a mechanism who forced these two civilizations to go to the war? That was, yeah, that was his concern. That was his element of his study, of trying to understand. That's what he makes these this journeys this, uh, to, to the different parts of the world or as it was understood by, by this. So he was trying to understand the other people. They are two obstacles except of technical problems of transportation and all this. The first obstacle on, on this way of understanding is the problem of the first memory is that each of us has a different memory. Each of us remember the same story, the same event in different ways and different elements. So the problem of us of reporter is that when we come to some place, we are trying to get the information, we are receiving information from different sources, and the information are very different because a memory is a very individualistic thing. And memory is, there is a second problem with memory, is that memory is working all, to, all time, that memory is changing all time. That we never come to the point that we have one memory and one time. Because once we approach the same memory, we're facing that this memory has already changed. That's the way that Soviet KGB people was working with the prisoners during the Stalinist terror time. There's a way of accusing the man was to take him to the prison and to ask him to write his version of his life. Then they put him one week just staying in the cell, not doing nothing. After one week, they called him. They said, write your version of your life. He was writing. Then after one week, they put him back. They asked him again. They said, write your version of your life. After three or four such uh, events, they compared this. And the most private thing, which we consider the most important, and the, the unique, which we really know, was that each of these versions was different in somehow. And that was the fundamental of the, the reason of accusation. You see, you are a liar. Because every time you are the, about the same event, you are saying different things. In this report, you are saying that you are entered through left doors. But the other, you are saying that you are entered through, through, through right doors. That you are saying that you, it was 8 o'clock. But here you are saying that it was 8.50. Where is the truth? Everything is pure lie. It means that our accusation is, is reasonable because you are unable to say how it really was. So the memory was, can work against us. The work of, of the memory and, and the whole problem of the memory is a problem of utmost importance, of great importance. And that was a question which Herodotus would face also. He heard some story. He was going there. He met the people. And each of the people were telling him another story. So his solution was that he's writing in the book that I came to this place and the people, these people tell me this, these people tell me this, these people tell me this. He's very objective. 
he's trying to, to show his problem, which version is true, which version is to, to be accepted. And he says this. Sometimes he said, I don't know, I am unable to say this. Sometimes he said, I believe this, and, but I'm doubtful about this version. He's very human. He's, he's sharing his, his doubts, his problems with us, with readers. He's just showing how history is, is relativities of, of, of the history process and what he's doing and what he's important in, in the book is that he's not trying to show how was the factual history, how was real event. He's trying to show us how the people remember and understand the event. It's an important difference. He's not trying to establish the real truth because it is impossible. He's trying to relate to us how the people understand and what they what they remember, what they see, because he understands that the, the, the people are not deciding about his um, moves and decisions through what really takes place. The people's decisions and moves are decided by what they think about this, what they believe it was a truth. So it is a great shift in the subject in which people are motivated by their uh, decision and how history is going. History is going not, not through the process of facts. History is going through the process of our thinking about the, the, the historical process and our understanding this and our belief in this. People are, are motivated by his beliefs, not by the facts which are really uh, taking place and which reality or which veracity is practically impossible to establish and even has no such importance. The importance of the veracity was coming only to human existence only with invention of, of writing history. But this is very short period of human uh, existence and, and human history. And it never was uh, the way that the, this writing history was the only source of our thinking and understanding. Because even today, we are moved not so much by the writing history, because very few people in percent, comparatively, read the historical books and understand them. Most of us are motivated and are moved by what we uh, hear and what we create out of these uh, things which we are here, how we create the stereotypes and all this. So that was his fascination. I remember I, just, I have a, my personal, very personal proof of this. I have a sister which is only a year younger than me, and she lives in, in Vancouver. Few years ago, I came to the idea that I have to write eventually because everybody asked me to write a book about Pins, my native small town in, in Belarus. Everything exists only in my memory because if I will not write about, I was only writing men from Pins. So if I will not write the, the book about pre-war peace, this will disappear, this will disappear. Nobody is, uh, is alive among my friends who is able to write this. So I asked the people that are sending me photos, they're sending me uh, memories, memories and so on, so on. But most of the people have died or were killed in concentration, I will keep them ghetto and, 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 and gulags and so on. Very few people survived. So I went to my sister, her name is Barbara. 
So we were always together. And the time was terrible. It was, really, it was a war time, nothing, hunger, food. And I asked him, Barbara, what do you remember? Tell me. And then he started his, he was seven years old at that time. He started with his relation. I compare with my memories. And it comes completely two different stories. <laughs> she asked me, do you remember as the soldiers came to our house and the, the, the Russian soldiers, they stretched the picture was on the wall. I said, I don't But it was like this. You remember that was a night and it was very scared. And I said, what's And you know, suddenly you are receiving completely two different stories of the people who are not separated from us. And it, this is a problem which historians are meeting and which Herodot already was aware of this. He knows that we are not able to establish any coherent truth that what we are able is to study the state of our memories and of our remembrance. He understood uh, very well at that time. He was the first man in our culture. I don't know enough the Chinese culture, I don't know enough the Hindi culture. I can't say about this. I'm speaking about more or less European or Western culture, obviously. That we are living in the world who is multicultural world by definition. That is, that, that is a structure of the world. That you can't imagine the world out of this structure. And without understanding this, you don't have to understand the world. So that is the first question which was very strong in, in, in his mind. He was the first anthropologist. At that time, science like anthropology, geography, psychology, was not yet separated. It was one knowledge. He was the first anthropologist. He understood that and to understand the other men or other people, you can do it only through understanding their culture. There is no other way. He, by his uh, example and by his uh, work, to convey to us this, this fundamental truth. And he's trying to convey to us the understanding that the past, that the memory of the past is so fundamental to, to our identity. We are now in contemporary culture completely surrounded and flooded with the contemporary information, with the contemporary blah, 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 which is going, 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 and is keeping our mind busy, permanently, with the small and unimportant or or distorted or information. But with these people have no uh, media at that time, the sort of media we have. So for them, the information of the past was a part of the information of the present. And it was very important also to know the past for two reasons. One was that was that exactly that the information of the past was the information of the present. But secondly, because at that time was not yet nations, 
because we have the state now, and state resolve for us the problem of identity. I'm French citizen, I'm uh, American citizen, I'm Brazilian citizen, I'm Polish citizen, Finnish. But they were not state at that time. So the, the roots of clan, of tribe, of small place, was the only source of identity of the man. And that's why for the people was so important to describe and to find to, to whom they belong. Because state couldn't make for them this, this work. They have themselves, individually, each of them, the clans, the families, to establish their, uh, their trace or their characteristic of their identity. That was the, uh, the reason that this, this memory was so important. That was the reason that up to now, in certain African tribes, you have these professional memorizers. You have these people who are called, for example, in French, uh, Mali or Guinea, or uh, let's say called griots. These are people who are, uh, who are being respected by, by the, because they remember the, the past because they can tell who was their ancestor. Because there are two things which can keep the, the collective memory of our roots. And there is fire and there is shade. Because there are two things which in hot country can unite the people. The shade in the daytime. The fire in the evening and the night. That's a place to group the people. That's a place to recreate and to create the collective memory. If there is no wood to make a fire, and if you cut the tree, that there will be no shade, the memory will be killed. The identity will disappear. So it is such a delicate uh, relation between the, the, the memory and the things which are so unstable, so delicate, like uh, fire and the shape. This podcast has been brought to you by the New York Institute for the Humanities at NYU in conjunction with the Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute. Our producers are Annika Kaundinya and Ben Branstein. Our thanks to Uli Bear and for their technical and design acumen, Aaron Dowdy and Selena Lacazzi. For more information, or if you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at, and this is one word, nyihumanities.org. Again, that's nyihumanities.org. 